Tonight, we will be studying through 2 Corinthians chapter 3 all the way to chapter 4, verse 6. And by way of context and recap, before we pray, there were those who were questioning Paul's authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And they were, they were questioning his authority, and therefore they were questioning the integrity of his message, and it was being threatened. There also seemed, in our chapter that we're going to read, there also seemed to be false teachers trying to persuade believers to approach God through the Old Covenant and the Old Testament law, and that's a big deal. If these who were questioning Paul's authority succeeded, they would have given reasonable doubt to question his message of the simplicity of the gospel. And if the doctrine of the false teachers were not called out, the church would become deceived and lose the true message of how to restore relationship with God the Father. And so I'm so thankful for this section of scripture because the Holy Spirit through Paul writes this, uh, this chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 all the way to 4 in order to rightly silence those who would hinder the truth of the gospel given by Paul. And if you're joining us, chapter 1 can be summarized in Paul's calling by God. Chapter 1, Paul's calling by God. He says he's an apostle or one who's sent out by the will of God. This, this wasn't something that he chose for himself, but God chose it for him. So he is establishing his authority as someone who was called by God. So pay attention, listen, I'm called by God. Chapter 2 is... Paul's concern for the church, and as a shepherd, there were things that needed to be corrected, written previous letters that he's comforting, and you can see his concern for the church, how he responds to people questioning his integrity. He doesn't blow up in their faces, but he, he, he writes so specifically on why his integrity is intact, and it's, it's godly, and why his message should persevere. In chapter 3, if I have a big title for tonight, chapter 3 all the way to 4, verse 6 is Paul's commendation by God. Commendation is just recommendation. So Paul's commendation by God. And tonight we want to look at three things, three reasons why you should listen and receive Paul's ministry and authority. He gives us three reasons why we should do that. Now, we'll look at each section, those three reasons. We'll take a look at what's happening, we'll explain some of the things that are going on, and then at the end, we'll come back around towards application for us today, because we want to jump into the mind of what's happening in Paul as the Holy Spirit's using him to pen these things to the people, the believers in Corinth. So let's pray, because this is a spiritual book, and we need spiritual understanding for this, so let's pray and let's dive in. Sound good? All right. Father, we humble ourselves under the authority of your scripture. We thank you, Lord, that your word is living and active. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. We pray, Jesus, that your word would read us, like James says, as as in a mirror. I pray, Lord, the things that you would reveal would be changed towards Christ-likeness and that you would receive all glory. We thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit, how he is upon us this evening how he is the one to teach us about Jesus. And so we ask that we would be led to the throne room of grace to gaze upon Jesus, to learn his word and to rightly apply it to our lives. Lord, we ask by your Holy Spirit, through your word, would you disciple us and make us more like Jesus? In your name we pray and say, amen. Amen. Okay, so let's dig deep into the scriptures tonight. Chapter three 
is all about Paul's commendation by God. Paul's commendation by God. And there's three things. I'll give you the first three, and then we'll dive into each section. Number one, Paul's commendation by God was written by the Spirit. This is in verses one through six. Paul's commendation by God was written by the Spirit. Number two, Paul's commendation by God gave Paul a more glorious message. It's a beautiful message of the new covenant. So Paul's commendation by God gave Paul a more glorious message. Um, Number three, Paul's commendation by God empowered Paul to share the truth of the gospel. And that's all the way from chapter four, verses one through six. And these will be on the screen, so don't fret if we move on. But read with me, number one, Paul's commendation by God was written by the Spirit in verses one through six. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and the Holy Word written by the Holy Spirit through Paul says this, chapter 3, verse 1, 2 Corinthians. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. Ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Verse 4. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Number one, Paul's commendation by God, number one, was written by the Spirit. Now, these letters of commendation, or as we know it, letters of recommendation, were not uncommon for the early church. You know, these letters of recommendation were actually used as safety nets to filter false teachers from entering into the meeting place. You know, anyone can say, hey, Paul sent me, so listen to me, I got some special revelation to you. Or, or hey, Peter, the one who said God is going to build his church on, the rock, hey, I, I have a message from Peter. And without those letters of recommendation, people would listen to those things. And so they weren't, it wasn't uncommon for the early church to have letters of recommendation to validate, their, uh, to validate what they had to say. Um, you know, but if they had a letter uh, from Paul or from Peter, they could show it to the elders of the church in order to validate what they were saying and give claim to their message. So Paul, in his letters, often wrote letters of recommendation for other people. You see that in the end of the epistles, he says, hey, receive Phoebe, or receive Titus, or receive uh, Epaphras. He's writing them letters of recommendation, but he never needed to write a letter of recommendation for himself. Paul explains why he never needed a letter of recommendation. Remember, again, the people were questioning his authority. They're like, if this is a message we're supposed to be listening to, then where's your letter of recommendation? This is the mind of the church in Corinth right now. And so Paul begins with a rhetorical question, verse one. I love this. Paul's asking them a question. Do we begin, a, uh, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Are we gonna recommend ourselves? 
Or do we need, as some others, the false teachers, do we need, as some others, uh, epistles or letters of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? And the answer is no. Why didn't Paul need letters of recommendation? Because the believers in Corinth were the letters of recommendation. You know, these false teachers, they might have looked the part. They might have had letters of recommendation on really nice parchment paper written with the nicest ink. My mom is a, is a creative scrapbooker. She has a little cricket thing. It can do amazing things. Maybe they had, they had beautiful parchments of, uh, of, of recommendations for them. But Paul says, I don't need physical ink. I don't need physical paper. Because my letters of recommendation is the church itself. He says the proof is in the pudding, so to speak, or the proof is in the fruit of what I've brought through the message of the gospel. So there seemed to be teachers and accusers that were commending themselves, puffing themselves up in order to take away from Paul's ministry. And Paul would later write about them, write down these two verses. They're not going to be on the screen, so write down these two verses. 2 Corinthians 10, 12. 2 Corinthians 10, 12. And 2 Corinthians 10, 18. 2 Corinthians 10, 18. Paul says this about those who would recommend themselves. In verse 12 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Paul's saying, if you have to puff yourself up in order for your, your message to be validated, you're not wise. I don't class myself with those people who have to do that because my, my, my message is, is, is the, the fruit of my message is already evident. In 2 Corinthians 10.18, Paul writes this, For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. And Paul was commended by God. The proof is in the pudding, or the proof is in the fruit. In order to combat the false teachers, and in order to silence those who questioned his ministry, Paul brought, to their, uh, brought, Paul brought to their attention the fruit of his labors. He's saying, examine the fruit. You, the church in Corinth, is my letter of recommendation. I didn't write it. God did. And I love how Paul gave credit where credit's due. Paul knew that he couldn't call someone from death to life. Only Jesus could do that. But he says this in verse 3. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. So this means that these living letters, these living epistles, these people's testimony from coming from death to life, they weren't written because Paul was a great teacher or pastor, or church planner, though he was those three things. But these living letters of recommendation were because the Spirit of God through the message of the gospel. He says clearly, verse 3, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with fancy ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And I so love the humility of Pastor Paul here. Though he was one of the major pillars in the early church, he didn't boast himself. He didn't recommend himself. He just called, to, he called the people to examine the fruit. I love the humility. He understood what Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord or declares the Lord. Paul understood he didn't save them. Jesus saved them. 
The Spirit was the one to write on their hearts. And notice Paul's view of himself. Paul viewed himself as just a minister. Now, minister these days is a kind of a fancy title. Ooh, you get some nice robes on, right? Sometimes you get a little necklace. Wow, you get a nice parking spot. But in, in, in context here, this word minister is literally one who waits on tables. Think of a deacon or a modern-day translation, a waiter. You go to Miko Sushi. The people who bring you the sushi, that's a waiter. That's what a minister is. Paul didn't say, I'm this big old apostle. Because I, uh, because I did it myself. No, I'm apostle by God. I'm just a minister. I'm just a servant of the gospel. There, there was in con- uh, this was in contrast to those who were trying to preach themselves, right? And puff themselves up. Though Paul was mightily used by God, Paul understood that he was just a vessel that the Spirit flowed through. And speaking of Paul's humility, look at verses 4 through 6. He recognized his own insufficiency for the task at hand. He says this, And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers, as that word again, servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This word sufficient has the idea of making adequate. Paul knew that he wasn't adequate for the task at hand. He recognized that God made him adequate. Paul acknowledged that his commendation of living epistles that were written by the Spirit was because God made him as a sufficient minister of the new covenant. And I so love these three verses, verses four, five, and six. I really clung on to these verses. Uh, young, when I was right entering into the ministry, I don't, who on the right mind gave 17-year-old a, a privilege to serve on a pastoral staff at the Bible college? But I stepped up to the plate. And it's very intimidating to sit under Pastor Chuck Smith, to sit under the Rob Salvatos, the Clark Van Wicks, the, the big names of Calvary today. And they're like, okay, it's your turn to lead the staff Bible study. And you're like, what? I can't do that. The Lord really ministered these verses to me. You, you can't do that. That's the whole point. You're not sufficient for this task, but I am, and I can make you sufficient. And this brought me to the truth that God is not looking for giftedness. He's looking for willingness. Paul was just a willing vessel. God chose him to impact generations and generations, not because he was this massive, big guy. He was just mightily used by God. He was a man who understood that his sufficiency wasn't on his own strength. It was on the Lord's strength. When I step up to the plate to step up uh, out in faith to, to do the work of the Lord, if, if not checked in my humility, it's just a flop. And that is the whole purpose. When God calls someone to make them sufficient for the gospel, he often calls those who are weak. Why? So that Jesus would receive all the glory. Turn with me real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Why does God call insufficient people, unqualified people for the task at hand, for the ministry of the new covenant? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26, we see God's reasoning and why he calls insufficient people for the new covenant. And the reason being is that the glory of the Lord belongs to Jesus alone. Read with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, 
that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame, to put to shame the things that, which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written he who glories let him glory in the Lord Paul understood this Paul understood that not many wise noble awesome people were called but the base things of the world so that Christ would receive all glory. This is a call to us, for us. If we think something of ourselves, we need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves because God will share his glory with no one. Right? It says you you need to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. If you don't, the mighty hand of God will humble you, right? And so when we serve the Lord, it's, it's not a place of I'm all that. It's a place of I'm nothing, but Christ is all that. And because he's all that, I'll step up to the plate because he will make me sufficient for the task at hand. Going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, notice this in verse 6. God made Paul sufficient, verse 6, who also made it sufficient as ministers or servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Okay, so what is this new covenant? Well, the new covenant is the promise that God makes with humanity that he will forgive sin and restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned towards him. This was prophesied in Jeremiah 31.33. Jeremiah 31.33. Study this on your own. The promise of the new covenant. It says this, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, this was the new covenant, that the Spirit would be the one to be in them, to be writing on their minds and on their hearts, and their God, and we would be his people. And, and Jesus instituted the new covenant in Luke twenty-two nineteen to 20. Luke twenty-two nineteen to 20, when he took communion with his disciples. He says this in Luke twenty-two nineteen to 20, issuing the new covenant, the covenant that it doesn't matter what you do or don't do, it's by grace through faith alone in Christ alone that you are saved. This is how Jesus instituted it. In Luke 22, 19 and 20, and he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So this was the key. The, the new covenant needed to be instituted by a, an eternal sacrifice, a, an eternal bloodline, so to speak. And this was Jesus. And so Jesus institutes this new covenant by grace alone, right? Accessed by faith. Only in Jesus Christ can you be saved. It doesn't matter if you keep the law anymore. It doesn't matter if you don't keep the law anymore. What you say or don't say, it's all by grace through faith. It's simply Jesus. And this is why Paul is saying, you should listen up to me. This is my letter of recommendation because you were dead and now you're alive. And that wasn't by me, it was by the Lord. 
So all the false teachers trying to invalidate my message, look at the fruit. It wasn't because of me, it was because of Christ. And it's all about Christ. He makes us sufficient for the task. So number one, we see Paul's commendation by God, number one, was written by the Spirit. Number two, Paul's commendation by God gave Paul a more glorious message. Number two, Paul's commendation or recommendation by God gave Paul a more glorious message. Read with me in verses 7 to 18. 7 to 18. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. For what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who would put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face, at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So number two, Paul's commendation by God gave Paul a more glorious message. There seems to be those who are questioning Paul's authority and saying, hey, um, maybe Paul is saying, yes, you can have Jesus and you're saved, but now that you're saved, the legalism, the false teachers would say, now you have to keep the law. Now you have to go back to the Ten Commandments, well, actually the 614 commandments contained in the Old Testament. Now that Christ has come, yeah, that's good, you're saved, but now you have to be trapped in this system. And Paul is writing, no, 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 I'm recommended by God, listen to me, because I have given, I have been given a more glorious message. He's saying this, the law uh, was your sentence of death. Why does Paul have a more glorious message? Notice how the law is described here. It's the ministry of death. No one wants to be a part of that ministry, the ministry of death, right? But look at verse 7. The law is described here as the ministry of death. The law was your sentence of death. You see, the Old Testament law said if you break one commandment, you are guilty of it all. In all actuality, in Exodus chapter 34, when bringing down the law, in Exodus 34, when Moses brought down the law from Mount Sinai, 3,000 people died. No wonder it's called the ministry of death, right? In contrast to the Spirit, when the Spirit fell down in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people came to life spiritually. Paul is saying that the the false teachers can bring in their legalism, they can try to promote this, but why listen to this? We have a more glorious message with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not the ministry of death. It's the ministry of the Spirit. In fact, the scriptures will go on to say that the law 
is good. It's holy and righteous and perfect because it's given by a holy and righteous and perfect God. But it can never make one holy, righteous, and perfect, right? No one could keep the law. We needed a tutor. That's what the law was, according to Paul in Galatians chapter 3. The law was a tutor to bring us to the fact that we needed a savior. And so, later on in the scriptures, in Hebrews chapter 8, the Holy Spirit also says that the law is obsolete, And it's growing old and ready to vanish away. Write down this cross-reference in Hebrews 8.13. Hebrews 8.13. The author says, in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. Now, this, this means a lot to us because... Uh, well, it might not mean as much to us as it mean, meant to the, the Corinthian church because we kind of maybe grew up in the church where we didn't have to keep the law. We, we always knew it was not religion, it's relationship. But in the context of where we're coming from, from Paul, these false teachers were coming in, people who were fresh maybe out of Judaism. And it's tempting to go back to the familiar, right? Oh yeah, that makes sense. I think now I need to earn my keep. Uh, grace is good, but now maybe I have to earn it. And so Paul is writing these things. He's saying, don't go back, it's obsolete, it's growing old. There's, there's a more glorious message. In Hebrews 10.9, another cross-reference, Hebrews 10.9, we see that the law is taken away so that the new covenant may be established. Hebrews 10.9 says, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may, uh, that he may establish the second. And so also in verse 9 here, coming back to our passage, Chapter 3, verse 9, notice what the law is also described as. The law is described as the ministry of condemnation. The ministry of condemnation. The law condemned you. It told you that you can never be holy. The law was given to prove to mankind that they couldn't be perfect and that they needed a savior from their imperfection. You know, the law was glorious. It says that it was glorious, but there's a better more glorious message that Paul is bringing through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The law was glorious because God is glorious, but it can never make one holy, righteous, and accepted in the eyes of the Lord. Only a perfect sacrifice, Jesus, could do that. Only grace alone, by faith alone, could do that. And notice how the ministry of the Spirit is described here, of this better message, this more glorious message. It's the ministry of righteousness. I want to be a part of that ministry. I don't want to be a part of the ministry of death or condemnation. I want to be a part of the ministry of righteousness. In verse 9, he he describes the the ministry of the Spirit as the ministry of righteousness. And we understand we're only righteous, not by the keeping of the law, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And this ministry of righteousness by the Spirit, get this, it transforms us from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. So not only does this new glorious message save save us, but it also transforms us from glory to glory. Where else have we seen this? Well, Romans chapter 8, right? That God is working together all things for good so that Christ would be preeminent in our lives. That's why we can count it all joy when we go through sufferings. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8 for the fuller context. Romans chapter 8, speaking of being transformed by glory to glory, we're glorious because we're made in the image of God. We're glorious because we're saved, but we go from glory to glory just by, as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is a work of God. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 28 all the way to 30. Romans eight twenty-eight to 30. 
Paul says this, keeping in mind that we go from glory to glory, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, that that he might be the the seen one it's, it's speaking about. Moreover, verse 30, moreover whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So what's the end goal? Christ-likeness. Glory from glory to glory. We're loved just the way we are, but we're loved enough not to be left the same way we are. We go from glory to glory. And it's not by keeping the law. It's through a relationship led by the Holy Spirit. That's how you go from glory to glory, and that's because of the new covenant. Coming back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we go from glory to glory. Why? Because verse 17, we're free from the law. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And this is something Paul is contrasting Moses, who had to hide the glory that was fading. Coming back to the Old Testament, when Moses met up with God on the mountain, his face would shine because of the radiance, the glory of being face to face with God. But he would come down, he would veil his face, he would hide it, and we get some further detail here, not because he was, well, he was also described himself as the most humble man, but he he hid his face, not because he didn't want people to um, see how glorious he was or how he met up with the Lord, but he wanted to hide his face to show them, to to, to hide from him the fact that the, the glory was fading, Okay, so we see that we all with unveiled face, we're beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord. This is something to rejoice that we don't have to hide. Moses had to hide this. This is part of the more glorious message that he's talking about. Uh, Moses hid his face. Look at verse 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. So here's the thing. His message was glorious, because it's not about the law, it's about Christ. And that veil is only taken away in Christ. Now, this might seem unfair. Why would God put a veil over Israel? Well, we know in Romans chapter 11, God is not done with Israel right now. But because they did reject the Messiah, there is a partial blindness upon Israel that is given by the God of this age, that allowed by God, but that veil will be lifted at the fullness of the Gentiles. And we believe, Bible commentators believe, that it's going to be at the rapture of the church, that veil is going to be lifted, the Jews are going to be like, we missed it. But the law could never remove that veil to be transformed from glory to glory. Only Christ can do that. Christ removes the veil. In fact, what happened when Christ said, it is finished on the cross? The veil was torn, what? From top to bottom. Signaling, symbolizing the fact that now we have free access into the Holy of Holies, the most, uh, the most beautiful and precious place of God's presence. So that veil is removed in Christ Jesus And as that veil is removed, we're free from the law. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, we don't have to hide this anymore. 
this glory is not going to fade away. It's going to be eternal. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image of Jesus from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is the work of the Spirit. This is the work of the Spirit. Oftentimes in our Christianity, we think God saved me. Now I got to put in the hard work. But that sanctification process, going from glory to glory, has nothing really to do with you and your power. It has everything to do with your surrender to God's work in your life. That's where the power comes from. So Paul, his commendation by God, number two, gave Paul a more glorious message, number three. And then we'll talk about application, what this means for our life. Paul's commendation by God, number three, empowered Paul to share the truth of the gospel. Paul's commendation by God empowered Paul to share the truth of the gospel. Have you ever seen a movie that's just so good you can't wait to share others, share with others? You have to see this. You, you have to see this, right? Or a song that you listen to that is just so good that you just share it to everybody on your Spotify account. Well, this was kind of Paul's heart. He, he was commended by God, and because it was so good, because it was so beautiful of the message he was sharing, it empowered him to share the truth of the gospel. Now, this is a big deal because Paul was just a man, but he was a man with many adversaries. People hated Paul. <laughs> if you look at the book of Acts, man, he was stoned, right? People thought he was dead. Uh, he, he was whipped. He was beaten. He, he had enemies. And so he also needed to be comforted. And I love the fact that God's recommendation for Paul empowered him to share the truth. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since we have this ministry, what is this ministry? The ministry of the new covenant. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, number three, Paul's commendation by God empowered Paul to share the truth of the gospel. Because Paul had received this new ministry of the gospel transformation that happens in the new covenant, he did not lose heart, which also gives me some insight. The implication of him not losing heart implies that we can lose heart. In fact, he'll write later in Galatians chapter 6, don't grow weary while in doing good, for in due season you shall reap if you do not lose heart. This was a hard ministry, but God's recommendation for him empowered him to continually share the truth. Even though he had many adversaries, even though there are people who are questioning his judgment and questioning his motives and his integrity of the message he brought, he continued to not lose heart. And he didn't have to handle these things deceitfully, he's saying. He didn't have to walk in shame or craftiness nor handle the word of God deceitfully because of God's affirmation of his ministry. And so some people might have said, hey, Paul, if your message is so good, how come it's not received by everybody? How come they're still blinded? Well, the truth is, 
Those who are not in Christ are still blinded by the God of this age. Right? And so I can't help what Paul is saying. I can't help people who are not saved. That, that's not up to me. It's by the Spirit of God. That doesn't discredit the message and the power of the gospel. If they're open to getting saved, God will come and save them. And, and so he's saying this in verse, uh, um, in, in, in verse 3 of chapter 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. And what a, what a hard truth to believe. That there is a God of this age, and that's Satan, who has blinded many. Lest, what does it say? Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. We can't help people's blindness, but we can point them to the one who heals blindness, like blind Bartimaeus. Jesus healed his blindness physically, which tells me that he can heal blindness spiritually. How does God remove that blindness? Through the softening of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit has softened hearts, then prepares, then, then prepares the messenger, you, the church, to go and share that word. And Lord willing, their hearts are stirred enough, the seeds are planted, it's grown by the Holy Spirit, that they say yes to Jesus and they're not blinded anymore. But Paul is saying something here that, that we should all take note of. He was commended by God and it empowered him to share the truth of the gospel. We are also commended by God to share the truth of the gospel. We are recommended by God to share the truth of the gospel. To see, the truth is that God wants the church to shine the love and light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, because he received that affirmation from the Lord, he wasn't afraid to do that. But I fear that many of us might be too afraid to share. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of Satan winning. I'm tired of the blindness that he has caused. And I know Jesus' words saying, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. So therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more laborers. I fear that the snare of fear has grown upon the church and are afraid to offend. Paul had adversaries too. People questioned his motives, his judgment, but he spoke the truth. As we talk about these different things and what does this mean for our life, we want to dial back. The word of God, yes, is living and active. So how do we apply this to our lives today? Speaking of everything that we talked about. Well, number one, we saw that Paul, Paul's commendation by God was written by the Spirit. He says that the people, they were epistles written by the Spirit. As a believer, you are an epistle of Christ too. Now be honest with me, if God wrote your epistle, what would it say? Would you have the testimony that you're known and read by all men, clearly displaying Jesus? Would it say that you're a Christian just on Sundays, maybe on the occasional Wednesday, for sure on Easter? (laughs) What would your epistle say? What would your life communicate to those who are around you? I thank God for grace. Because I know that my epistle has been tainted with sin, deceit, hypocrisy. But I'm thankful that I'm saved by grace, that I'm sustained by grace, I'm sanctified by grace. And that when God sees my epistle, it's written with red ink because of the blood of Jesus Christ. My mistakes, canceled out. Sure. <laughs> 
I'm thankful that I can approach the Lord with a clean epistle because he has worked in my life. Now that we know that we're epistles, you know, we've examined what it would say and we know what grace would, would, would say and redeem us. He also brings up to that point in the, that passage where not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is Christ. I know some, because I, I, I group myself in this, this part too, I know that we can feel so unworthy as an epistle to be used by God. Anyone ever feel that? Yeah, there's a great mission field out there. God wants to do something. We want to be a part of revival, but not me. God can't use me. Wait a second. If God can use Paul, one who was murdering Christians, right, and transform him into the mega missionary that he is, he can use you. Our lives are marked by great men and women who have been touched by God, who said, yes, I am unworthy, but I know who is worthy. And I know that because he is worthy, because he is full of love and compassion, he wants to reach the world, he can use me. We're never going to be sufficient. That's the truth. Here's another truth. There's always going to be people more gifted than you. (laughs) But if God wanted to use them, he would use them. God's not looking for the next Chuck Smith. If he did, he would still be around, right? God's looking for you. While you have breath, you have a calling. And you'll never be sufficient. But Christ makes you sufficient. What does that mean for our lives today? For me, practically, I need to wake up. I have a little identity sheet before I walk out the door. I need to know my identity, that I'm forgiven, that I'm loved, that God has a plan and purpose for me, that he's coming back quickly and he wants to save some, many. He desires that none should perish. And so I I have a mission. So what does that look like for you? Lord, I admit my weaknesses. Lord, I admit my mistakes. Lord, I admit that I'm insufficient, but I believe that you can make me sufficient. I believe that you can make me sufficient of, the, of a minister of the new covenant. With that prayer of surrender, watch out. God's going to use you. He, he's looking for people to come to the end of themselves. What does he say in John chapter 12, verse 24? Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, if it comes to the end of itself, it bears much fruit. God's not looking to be an add-on to your life. He's looking to be the all of your life. And when he is the all, watch out. (laughs) We're going to be coming in with that revival wrecking ball, right? And I can't wait. I I know that God still has it, has one more. I pray just one more that we can be a part of before he comes back. We will never be sufficient, but Christ can make us sufficient. We saw that he doesn't call many who are wise, not according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. That's okay. That's me. That's you. We can admit that. And when we admit that, God's light shines through our brokenness and people get to know the gospel. We looked at number two, that Paul's commendation by God gave Paul a more glorious message. We are entrusted with a glorious message of the gospel. We are entrusted with a glorious message of the gospel. My question is, what are you doing with it? Now, if you've been attending Calvary Vista for years, I know that you're well-fed. Pastor Rob's one of the best Bible teachers around. Can I say this? A lot of churches are spiritually constipated. We're well-fed. We're well-fed. I mean, we, we, we really are. Are we ready to be poured out, so to speak, for the gospel? We are entrusted with that glorious message. And it's not a hard message. It's a message of life, liberty, and being transformed by the Spirit of God. 
Yes, there was a confrontation of sin. Yes, there's the reality of death. But without that message, we don't have life, liberty, or the transformation by the Spirit of God. How has the gospel impacted you? What would that look like in your workplace for you to take the gospel, that glorious message, to your workplace? If you're a father to your kids, if you're a mother to your kids, grandma, grandpas to your grandkids, to your, your, your children. What would that look like on your sports teams? What would that look like if you carry the message of the gospel? We also looked at in that passage that we're being transformed from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of God. And I love that the Holy Spirit transforms us. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, speaking of being transformed from glory to glory, how God will sanctify us by the Spirit of God. Sometimes we can get so caught up in, I have to do this, I have to do that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Speaking of being transformed from glory to glory, about being sanctified and being the end goal of Christ, Christ's likeness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Get this, guys. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That means from top to bottom. Wholeness to wholeness. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Get this. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. Whose job is it to transform you from glory to glory? The Spirit of God. What's your responsibility? Surrender and obedience. You can't manufacture your own righteousness. That only comes through the Spirit. But a surrendered vessel is a mighty weapon in the hand of God. Easier said than done. There's always pictures of clay in the Bible, right? How the Lord is the potter where the clay the clay gets smashed, <laughs> you know? It gets molded, it gets broken, and then once it finally has a little piece of form, it's kind of like, oh, now I can relax. Not so. The potter's wheel, you're like, Whoa. And sometimes your sanctification may feel like that. It's like, what, what is happening? But they had, at the end of the day, if you're surrendered to the Holy Spirit, that process of crazy is going to turn into something beautiful. The temptation is in the crazy of the sanctification process that the Holy Spirit is giving you for you to get off the potter's wheel. I need to st- stabilize myself. God doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> and you hinder the work of the Lord in your life. Can I encourage you, stay on the potter's wheel. Let the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God the Father, mold you, shape you into the image he's creating you to be. Stay on the potter's wheel. It's the Holy Spirit who transforms you to glory, to glory. This doesn't happen by keeping the law. It happens with our unveiled face because of the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Stay on the potter's wheel. Number three, we looked at Paul's commendation by God, empowered Paul to share the truth of the gospel. Like Paul, God's recommendation upon our lives is is to empower us to share the truth of the gospel. We're blessed to be a blessing. God is looking to shine through our lives that many would come to salvation. And again, God is not looking for giftedness. He's looking for willingness. The message of the gospel is is entrusted to us. What are we going to do with it, church? As Paul is writing his letter, he's writing to combat, like we said, remember, combat the false teaching and the people who are questioning his authority. We know who the authority is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him have the reins of your life. 
Let him do something with the gospel through your life. I'll tell you this. We see the signs of the times. He's coming back quick. Let's be about his business. Amen? Father, would you come and take what your word has spoken to our lives and give us practical opportunities for us to live it out? We thank you, Jesus, that you want to use us. We thank you, Jesus, for Paul and his steadfastness and and being obedient to share that word, to be that example for us that we need to to, to be for you. And I thank you that it's not on our own sufficiency. Thank you that you make us sufficient. As we read your words, Lord, we thank you that it's preserved for us, that we would become holy. Be holy just as you are holy, your word says. So I pray, Jesus, that even the things that were said from here and even the things that you spoke to our hearts would not just fall on, on, on deaf ears, but it would continue to have its perfect will done in, uh, in our lives and through our lives for your glory. Lord, and until you come back, Lord, help us to have our hands through the plow and not look back. Lord, help us not to compromise. And Lord, when we do, when we fall, help us to fall forward into grace and be restored by you to be repurposed in those trials to, to give that testimony to others. Lord, thank you that you transform us. You don't leave us nor forsake us, but you still are working in our lives, Lord. Continue to do that. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray and say, amen. Amen.